I'm sure that um, everyone would agree, last Sunday felt a little bit like the end of an era, didn't you think so? I thought, I mean, it was a, such a lovely service and a wonderful send-off for Alison, but I mean, things in a way aren't going to be the same again. She leaves such a huge hole, doesn't she, in the life of our community and in our church, and uh, big shoes to fill. I'm sure you'd agree that it feels a little bit strange uh, meeting here this morning without her. And so I wanted us to look together at Acts chapter 20 this morning, because this is what Paul shared with the church in Ephesus when he was on the move. Um, Ephesus was a town that was on the coast of what is now Turkey. Has anyone been there? We actually, yeah, one or two nod, yeah. You can visit. We went there. We were on um, a family holiday in Turkey several years ago, and we went on a day trip to Ephesus. It's a ghost town now, a ruin, because it was on the coast, and the sea kind of receded somehow, I don't know, uh, five miles or so, and then that left this port completely pointless, and so it was just deserted, and it was found about 100 years ago by a shepherd boy, you know, who's one of his sheep ended up in the amphitheatre or something like that. Amazing ruin, but Ephesus was this hustling, bustling, thriving city, and Paul went there, and he started a church, and he actually stayed there longer than he ever stayed anywhere. Um, you know that Paul moved around, you know, the map of all the places he went. Well, he stayed, Ephesus was clearly a special place to him because he stayed there longer than anywhere else. Actually, it was only three years which doesn't seem like very long, does it? So we can be grateful to have had Alison for eight or nine, however many it's been. They only had Paul for three. But nevertheless, they loved him after the time that he spent there. They loved him as a person. Look at verse 18. Um, it's, uh, he says that, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you. You know, he actually lived with them. He didn't live in an ivory tower or in a kind of tucked away, distant from the people. He shared his life, just like Alison and Derek shared their lives here with us in Melksham. Um, they loved his teaching. Uh, look at verse 20. You know that I've not hesitated to, hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but taught you publicly and from house to house. I mean, it's not just what happens on a Sunday, it's what happens all the rest of the time. Alison as well, constantly teaching us about the Lord Jesus and sharing and preaching and teaching with us. But now, the time had come to move on. Verse 22, Paul said to them, now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. So Paul didn't really know what was next for him. In a sense, Alison and Derek, a bit of an unknown for them, isn't it? They're off to Bristol. They don't know what that's going to really be like. Hopefully it will be a little bit more straightforward for them than it was for Paul. Paul says in verse 23, I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. Well, hopefully Alison won't be off to prison. Um, you never know. But, um, but, but clearly, they were sad. They were going, uh, moving on, but the people were sad. Verse 36, that little bit finishes up. When he said this, they knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept. You know, they didn't hold back. They embraced him, they kissed him. And what grieved the most was his statement, they would never see his face again which at least we know we'll see Alison again. We can go to her licensing on whenever the date for that is, and I'm sure we'll see her again. But they weren't going to see Paul again. But you know, I absolutely love this chapter because um, I love that it's in the Bible for us because it tells us that it's a totally normal thing for a church's minister to move on, to wave goodbye. It's not like we've done anything wrong um, or something bad has happened. It's actually just the way sort of things work. But best of all, it tells us what the church needs to hear when 
the minister is moving on. You know, what did Paul most want these people he was leaving behind to hear? What word did he want them to cling on to during a shift in a transition in leadership that was about to come? You know, did he want to say, well, make sure you keep organising really, really good bring and share lunches? <laughs> Probably. You know, that was important. I'm sure it was. Did he want to say to them, well, look, make sure you keep going with the building project. And one day there'll be a loo in the building. Was it a word of encouragement about the practicalities? Well, actually, all, as important as those things are, over and above any number of different concerns that Paul had to, for the church was one overriding theme, one word, and that word is grace. Joe, if you could just click on grace. <clears throat> oh, it's, uh, there, that, there we go. Um, it's there in the, in, the most, uh, in the key verse, verse 24. Look at what Paul says. He's only had one goal for his time. If I only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, what's that one task? The task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. That's what he's been all about since he arrived in Ephesus. He's been doing loads of different things, but the main thing has been preaching the gospel of grace. And now he's going, verse 32, he says, now, what does he want to commit them to? I commit you to God and to the word of his grace which can build you up and give you an inheritance among those who are sanctified grace i wonder what comes to your mind when you hear the word grace um maybe you're saying a prayer when you have your dinner we've been teaching little fred to say grace uh recently and we say fred should we say a prayer and he puts his hands together and we say, dear Lord Jesus, thank you for my supper. And he goes, amen, like that. <laughs> um, or maybe you think of maybe a ballerina moving gracefully. The dictionary definition of grace isn't much help to us here. It says that grace is the quality of moving in a smooth, relaxed and attractive way. Well, I don't think that's the kind of grace which Paul had in mind. God's grace is his free gift. His free gift. It's the same word as gratis. If you go on your holidays and, you know, something's gratis, it, you know, in French, or, that's when something's free. Or grazie, if you're saying thank you in Italy. Grazie is all the same word. It means you've received something. It's sort of similar to mercy. You know, if you ask for mercy, it's when you let, get not given something that you do deserve, isn't it? Mercy, if you go back to your car and the parking attendant's there and, oh, you over your time on the parking. You might ask him for mercy. And you won't get it. But, but if, if he let you off something which you deserve, that's mercy. But grace is being given something extra which you don't deserve, a free gift. That's grace. And most people, I think, assume that when it comes to God, what matters is not so much what God does, it's what we do. You know, actually, most people, I think, assume what matters is that I'm a good person. Now, that's really, you know, I'm constantly meeting people say, well, I'm not, I don't go to church, but I'm a good person. And the assumption is that if there's a God and if there's a heaven, well, it's the good people who will be all right. You know, good people will get in. It's, you know, obviously murderers, uh, thieves, you know, people who don't go and visit their grandparents, you know, they're, they're not going to get in. But as for me, I'm a law-abiding, tax-paying, decent enough citizen. God will be pleased with me. I'm a good person. It's all about what I do. And so most people think that what I do is what matters. But do you know, the Bible says completely consistently that that idea is completely wrong. It's completely wrong. 
Because actually nobody's a good person. No one's a good person. Jesus said it's not just murderers that's the problem. He said you can murder someone in your heart. He says it's not just people committing adultery that's the problem. You could commit adultery with someone in your heart. It's the heart that's the problem. And everybody, the heart of the human problem, someone said, is the problem with the human heart. All of our hearts go astray. We're all tainted by sin. The reality is that if we added up all the times when we've, you know, we have that moment of confession, don't we, at the start of this, we're racking, oh, what, what have I done wrong? We've all done something. You know, if we had a, a camera filming us the whole time, recording everything we said or did or thought, oh, we wouldn't want to see that tape back, would we? We'd be embarrassed. We certainly wouldn't want anyone else to see it. We certainly wouldn't want God to see it. But God is the one from whom... All hearts are owned, are known, from whom no secrets are hidden. And actually, how can we stand before a holy God when we know we're a sinner? Paul knew what a sinner he was. You might think, oh, Paul, he was a saint. Saint Paul. He said, this is a true saying and worthy of all to be received. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst, Paul said. And actually, all the holiest people have known. You think of Mother Teresa. She knew what a sinner she was. And Paul knew that's why God's grace is so amazing. We used to do a little illustration of this in Sunday school when I was helping out with Sunday school a few years ago. And we used to get two kids to the front. And we give them both a perfect, crisp, brand new, clean, white T-shirt. They'd be stood there, both in their brand new white T-shirts, And we say, well, the the trouble is, actually, all of us have done things that we know are wrong. And we sort of get them to, you know, get the kids to shout out, what have we, don't get specific, but what have you, you know, one one of them says, oh, well, actually, I swore. And we go, all right, that's a splodge of ketchup going on the T-shirt. You know, and then the other one says, oh, well, actually, I I stole something, right? There we go, there's a bit of engine oil and a bit of felt tip. And actually, I I lied to my mum and dad, you know. And actually, by the time you've gone round, everybody hasn't got any trouble naming all the things we've done wrong. And so then the kid is poor kid stood there in this horrible t-shirt and you say well now who wants to give him a hug and nobody wants to give him a hug and we think how does God feel about if that's the state of our hearts but the amazing thing is we've got here's another one who's in a perfectly clean white t-shirt representing Jesus and he's the only one who is actually good all of us are like that kid with the ketchup all over their t-shirt Jesus is the only one who never sinned when Pilate put him on trial they couldn't find anything to charge him with. He's the only one who's been perfectly pure and clean the whole way through his life. And what happened on the cross is that great swap took place. And Jesus Christ, he died not for his own sin. He never sinned. He died for our sin. He took our T-shirt onto himself and in return gave us that free gift of his righteousness. We sometimes sing dressed in his righteousness alone. And and so when God looks at us, he doesn't see all of our sin. If we're trusting in Christ and the cross of Christ, God looks at us and he sees his son and he says what he said to the Lord Jesus, with you I am well pleased. That is the gospel of God's grace. And that is what Paul wanted this church to remember. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch It's a strong word, isn't it? It's Paul's word, like him. And John Newton, you may know, the the man who wrote that hymn, he was an Anglican clergyman. But you may know in his previous career, he was a slave trader. (laughs) There almost couldn't be anything worse, could there? He actually went off to sea at a young age. He worked on the slave ships. He worked himself up to being the captain of slave ships. I mean, he, he would have his statue removed today if it wasn't for the fact that he became a Christian. 
And he encountered the power of the Holy Spirit and the gospel of grace, and he knew that what he was doing was wrong, and he, and he became a Christian, and he renounced it, and he actually worked, dedicated the rest of his life towards abolishing slavery, and he wrote that hymn, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound, It Saved a Wretch, and he knew the truth of what it was to be a wretch, but how sweet the sound of amazing grace was. And towards the end of his life, he said, although my memory is fading, I remember two things very clearly, that I am a great sinner and Christ is a great saviour. So what does Paul want the church to hear when he moves on? He wants them to remember that all he's been trying to do, his one aim, verse 24, above everything else, has been to preach the gospel of grace. It's what his aim was, it's what Alison's aim was, or at least it ought to have been. It's what my aim ought to be, it's what every vicar's aim ought to be, is to preach the gospel of grace. And now he's going, he wants them to remain committed, verse 32, to the word of his grace, which can build them up. So we better make that our prayer as well, hadn't we? Should we pray? Loving God, we thank you so much for the gospel of grace. And we confess that we are like that kid with the ketchup all over his T-shirt. We have done things, many things, that we don't care to admit. We pretend that we're a good person, but we know really deep down that we're not. And we say with Paul that you came to save sinners of whom we are the worst. And yet, while we were yet sinners, you died for us. And you've given us your perfect righteousness, your free forgiveness, and you've shown us amazing grace. And so we thank you that during this season of transition, Alison's going, the future is uncertain, that here we are. We pray that you'd help us to hold fast, just as this church in Ephesus did, to the gospel of grace above everything else. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.